All right, welcome back to episode 17 of The Nosebleeds. I'm Colin Martin. Sitting across from me, we have Bannon Crowley. Hello. And no Cam once again, but we move. We're all good. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, like usual. Get straight to it. Let's talk about the NBA first. So the Milwaukee Bucks tie up the series 2-2 two to two in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Kyrie Irving goes down with injury. James Harden has yet to return. How do we feel about this going forward? What is Milwaukee's, I don't know, the overall outcome? What do we see? I mean, Brooklyn won the first two games convincingly. Everyone said, oh, well, Brooklyn's uh, going to sweep them. They're going right to the finals. Um, I had the Bucks winning this series the whole time, and I'm pretty confident right now because the Bucks are favored to win this series now. I mean, Kyrie, the x-ray came back clean, but, I mean, I don't expect him to play the next game. He could, but... I mean, they had Kyrie the game before, too, and they still, yeah. the Bucks held them. Both teams even shot bad from, I think they were both shooting less than 40% from three, and both teams are pretty decent at shooting threes, but, I mean, the Bucks just too big on the inside for those guys on Brooklyn. I mean, besides Kevin Durant, the rest of the guys on that team aren't that good, and I've been saying that the whole time, and everyone was saying how Blake Griffin is going to be so good, now he's dunking. Okay, he gets a dunk, gets eight points a game. That's cool. I mean, if I was that tall, I would go do that too. <laughs> Just because it's Blake Griffin, though. Um, people are excited about that. But besides Kevin Durant with Kyrie and James Harden out and Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton playing good, I mean, I don't really see the Nets stopping this team. The Bucks have all the momentum right now. The thing is, though, we saw both teams win at home, so... If the Nets win this next game and the Bucks win game six, then the Nets could take the series at home because Harden would be back by then, I'm guessing, by game seven. But if the Bucks win the next game and they go up three to two going back at home, I think that's a wrap on the series. So I think this game five is very pivotal for the Nets. I don't think too much for the Bucks. That's what you're saying. Uh, a big thing I want to touch on, and I personally, I think KD is probably the best player in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, uh, I I'm shaky to that. say that. I need to think I about it more. But yeah, it's not a crazy take. He's pretty much anyone with a brain. He's in their top three. Yeah. And he, although he's been playing good most of the season and the series before, he looked great. He played really bad in game four. Well, and I don't think he was playing bad. PJ Tucker was locking him up. Yeah. The sneaker. Sending came. him back to the nine. The six, seven, yeah. locking up the seven footer. I think you know. I think KD played pretty bad. His stat line looked good until I looked. I saw his stat lines like twenty eight points, ten rebounds, and I'm Didn't like, he goes six for seventeen when Tucker was on him. Something. Yeah, like he went that. nine for twenty five on the game, and he got was... most of his points off free throws, and he had I want to say six turnovers. I was looking at that stat line, and it was just like, wow. Twenty eight points looks good. Yeah, twenty eight points looks good. He got good rebounds, decent assists, and then I look at like anything more advanced. His plus minus was negative, like less than twenty or more than twenty negative, and it's just he didn't play that great. And I agree with you that the surrounding guys aren't that great, but it's never a problem when you have two all-stars, two of top 15 players just hanging around next to KD. Yeah. But when they're out, I mean, we've never really seen KD carry a team. And it's just, and it's not even me dissing on KD. It's just, that's never been his role on a team. He's always had an all-star guard pretty much. Yeah. But he's always been the best player. Well, he's always been the best player, but he's always had those people around him. Yeah. And he just got thrown into the situation due to injuries like right now. So it's not necessarily the best test, but 
you know, this next game, assuming Kyrie and Harden don't play, it's going to be really interesting. This three for how, twelve from uh, PJ Tucker guarding. Him, yeah, so not. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens because you know if he can pull out a win on his own, and then Kyrie comes back, Harden comes back, that's going to be huge. Yeah. But if he can't do it, then I, I like the Bucks' momentum. I have the Nets uh, winning the finals. My whole thing. But I always said this Bucks matchup is going to be the hardest one, in my opinion. And, you know, I think that still holds true. I'm a big Drew Holiday guy. I always talk about the supporting guys in Milwaukee. And when they step up, their offense is always ass, in my opinion. But I just it's hard to watch sometimes. But when that defense clamps up Brooklyn and holds them, and when Brooklyn goes down with injuries, it's they can't match Milwaukee. That's some of the best defense I've seen. Uh, Mike Budenholzer is not a good coach, in my opinion, but that there's so much talent on the defensive end on that team, especially individually. Even the guys off their bench that play good defense, like DiVincenzo, like Portis, you know, they always come up, and it's really hard to score on that team. Yeah. Um, one thing, one of the big storylines we saw from that game is Steve Nash. He said uh, P.J. Tucker's defense, borderline non-basketball physical at some times. The thing I don't understand about this is I can see from a coach's perspective, but from the fans saying that basketball should be more aggressive, it's not how it used to be, and then complaining that P.J. Tucker is playing too hard defense on James Harden, well, or not on Kevin Durant. If, if P.J. Tucker was doing it to the Hornets, no one would care, but since it's the Nets, if it was the Lakers, you know, those fans, they always have something that goes either way. And it's funny, I see Nets fans... Uh, they're saying no matter who wins the championship this year, it's going to have an asterisk. Asterisk. But, like, if Brooklyn wins, they're going to change their mind on that. And it's just, I, it's so I annoying. I mean, that's what everyone besides the Lakers fans said last year, too. Yeah, it's just, there's injuries every year. I know they're more prevalent this year. I know it happened to have struck better players this year. But the playoffs are the playoffs. Stuff happens. An asterisk on a ring, the bubble stuff was one weird situation because that's never been seen before where I can understand someone maybe saying that. Yeah. But I think putting an asterisk on a ring either way is stupid because as much as, the, for example, the bubble may have helped someone like LeBron, it also totally derailed him too. So I when mean, they say that ring has, yeah, everyone was on equal field. turn. Just because the playing field sucked doesn't mean it wasn't equal for everyone. So Everyone was playing in the same yeah. place. As your so. neighborhood LeBron hater, I will say I still don't like when people put the asterisk on it and stuff like that. The Wamiki stuff is hilarious. Yeah. The A. Disney stuff is funny. But like... I think the you know, A. Disney stuff is also hilarious. I, I don't think that's as hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, uh, went on a, on a little tangent there, but it's tough for the Nets right now. If KD can hold down the fort pretty much for one game, then that really shifts momentum back in their favor. Yeah, um, I think this is going into this injuries or not. I think this was going to be a great series either way. Yeah, I still think even I mean, Kyrie wasn't hurt in Game Three, and the Bucks still won. I still think they would they were going to win last game if Kyrie was hurt or not. Yeah, I the think... one thing that we see from this series is. It's like a 20-15 point game, and then it ends up being like a 9-10 point game at the end. I think the, what did they, only win by 11 points, they blew them out. Yeah, the, the final score doesn't matter at the end of the day. Yeah, it goes back and forth. Uh, on to the next series, the Suns, they pulled off the sweep on the Nuggets. Uh, I'm a big Nuggets guy, I had them winning the series, I stand corrected, but you know, this Suns team is like hot right now it's insane how good they're playing kind of like the sun hilarious 
uh, yeah, Devin Booker's playing great. CP, Bridges, Aiton, they've all came to play. And people were doubting their playoff experience. But I think they've completely, like, broken that narrative. And Chris Paul, it's always, you know, gets bounced in the second round every year. He, I mean, he's out Not now. Not anymore. Yeah, no. Is this his first time in the Western Conference Finals? Did the Rockets make it that one year that he was with them? Or was that the year before? I think that was the year before. He was hurt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But either way, it's just CP, he's holding it down. That young Suns team. And he dropped, what, 39 the other night? Yeah. 37, 39. He was playing great. And it's just this also for, you know, I think Monty Williams is the coach of the year. And he's, I think the Suns run has something to say about it, too. Well, and playoffs uh, he didn't, doesn't matter. Yeah. Mm, playoffs don't matter. But you I'm did just, say that last week. It, that well, NBA fans forget that the playoffs yeah, don't matter. The playoffs don't matter, but I think it's proof of how good of a coach Monty Williams is. And, you know, maybe the media likes Thibodeau a little more. But I think they just like the Knicks more. Not every, him everyone, the Knicks this year were hard not to like. Yeah. But that being said, more about the series. Uh, the Nuggets, they just couldn't do it. It's Jokic... The MVP winner, he was battling, he was he was grinding for it, but it's just that Nuggets team couldn't help him. There was, uh, uh, it was either game, yeah, it was game three. Jokic put up just as many points as the whole rest of the Nuggets starting lineup combined. And it's just, you don't win games like that. And I'm a big Jokic guy, one of my favorite players in the league, but, you know, he's going to need a little help. When Michael Porter Jr. doesn't shoot well, and defense has never been his thing, it's just really hard to win close games sometimes. And a lot of the times, the Nuggets can't even make it close. It's just the role pieces, when they're missing Jamal Murray, yeah. it's they stand out. Because a guy like Compazzo, a guy like Monte Morris, even though I think they're both really good point guards, they're not championship-level point guards, in my opinion. Yeah, one guy stepping up, though. 25 points last game, Will Barton. I mean... Yeah. In a losing effort, but I mean, the one interesting thing for me to see from this game... Sorry, one thing. Barton just can't stay healthy. The Barton doesn't play, like, ever. You can't help the team when you're not in. Your favorite phrase, best ability is availability, and it's true. If Barton played every game, it would be a lot better. He just... He doesn't. Yeah, I mean, comparing the Suns to the Nets, I think the Nets ran 14 players in that game, and I mean, injuries happen and stuff like that, but the Suns running what is this nine players having Devin Booker play 42 minutes Chris Paul playing 40 minutes if you have Devin Booker out there for 42 minutes it doesn't matter if he's hot or cold he's gonna be hot at some point and I mean he didn't need to play that long but to show that he can play that long in a game against like obviously whoever they play if they do play in the finals even next round when they're battling against Kawhi in the fourth quarter knowing that you can have Devin Booker play almost the whole game because Kawhi and Paul George they can play almost the whole game yeah so. that's the best part about having young players that everybody recognizes it but I don't think it's talked about enough it's like for example LeBron LeBron is better than Devin Booker yeah. that's just how it is but you can have like 42 minutes of Devin Booker and LeBron just at this point in yeah his career, he just can't you can't have it's basically, do you want 42 minutes of Devin Booker or 35 minutes of LeBron? And it's like, they're both great. But with those young guys, you get them out on the court that long. And Chris Paul being an athletic freak, first off, but also having strong backup point guard play with campaign really stepping it up lately, it makes it a lot easier for the a team like the Suns to have their best players on the court at all times. And, I mean, 
when your best players are playing for a lot of the time and you guys are hot, it's almost impossible to stop. Yeah. Especially when your bench unit, when they're out there, is playing good. You can't complain about the bench guys this series. I mean, the bench for the Suns, none of them had more. They all had seven or less points. That's just how good their starting lineup is. Yeah, exactly. But you say that, and it's just like, they weren't even playing that bad either. They just just, did what they had to do. Yeah, they went out there when they had to. And unlike some teams, I I mean, we were talking a couple days ago about how Philly does this sometimes. They don't run a full bench lineup. And it's just, in 2K it works, but running a lineup of all your bench players and only them in close yeah. games, just because you're trying to get guys rest, really puts you at a deficit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on to the next. The Clippers, uh, they dominated in game three. Kawhi and Paul George both played amazing. You didn't hear anything about it because it's Paul George. But they are still down two to one. The Jazz have the, uh, the upper hand in the series. Every team has won the game at home so far. And the narrative of Kawhi being at his best while down 0-2 stands. Because, you know, quite amazing. So where do we see this series going? I have the Clippers in the finals. Um, I still have that. I mean, the Jazz have been good all year. But I think, I mean, at this point, obviously we've seen Donovan Mitchell play very well. And uh, there is one thing I want to touch on when after you talk about this series (laughs) that uh, someone said about Donovan Mitchell. But besides that, I mean, the Clippers have been playing great. The one thing that kind of scares me is if they win this next game and they go on to win the series, when they play in the next round against the Suns and the Suns win the first two games at home, can the Clippers really just like, do they just lose every away game in the playoffs? Because if they're down 2-0 to against a team, like we've seen the Jazz, obviously they did bad last game, but the Suns are hot. Like they're going to, they're going to force them to play in game three. And if the Clippers don't step up in game three, then that might be a problem. They get need to start winning away games. Yeah, that's the thing with Phoenix that is so exciting. They're not the best team in basketball left, but they're easily the hottest team left. Yeah. They have guys that are playing up above their talents, and their talents are already great. At least in the West. Yeah, no, but even, I think they're the hottest team in the, because they, yeah. they just doesn't even look competitive sometimes lebron gave him trouble because lebron's one of the greatest to ever put on sneakers you know it's just it's insane yeah he's but, all right hey i mean over now nah. but he you know lebron's gonna get some games away from you at least yeah and but besides that they've just looked amazing in every game even the games they lost to the lakers i feel like they looked good great defensive team too yeah they're great so but the point being uh i have the clippers in my finals too and i agree that I think they're going to pull it off versus Utah. I I can see them winning out. Yeah. Although that's, you know... Might go seven games again. Yeah. But I can see them beating Utah. Utah, like we always say, it's great team basketball. Quinn Schneider runs... He runs a good formula out there. You know, he gets the players in the right spots. But the superstar abilities of Kawhi and Paul George, when they're both on, yeah. it's one of the best duos in the NBA, if not possibly the best. I You know, yeah. we'll get... LeBron and AD, you know, KD and Harden, you know, that's a little bit better. But yeah, KD and Harden, not KD and Kyrie. Well, Harden's better than Kyrie. That's not debatable. Yes. And so those guys are a little better, but you got to love what's going on for the Clippers. And I think they make it. And them versus that Suns team, I have the same issue that you do. If they go down 0-2 again, yeah. I don't think, especially they're going to be tired. The Suns are blazing right now. And it's just, do they have that ability to come back from it? Yeah. I just think if they make it out of the series, they can't afford to go down 0-2 again. 
you can't you cannot do it three times in a row not to mention if they make the finals what happens then you know yeah um the one thing that you were saying about the team basketball the team basketball works when the team's hot but when you only have one star like donovan mitchell i don't think anyone else really i mean rudy gobert is fine defensively whether he deserved that defensive <laughs> player of the year which award i or think not, he did which i don't think he did <laughs> but that's for uh, another time but i mean donovan mitchell obviously gonna play great but when the rest of the team isn't playing great that's why the clippers team you have Kawhi and paul george when the rest of the team's not playing well you have those two both dropping 30 plus you're still in it and the one thing i wanted to talk about though is uh a reporter out there goes by Stephen A. Smith. I'm sure most of you have heard about him. He said, uh, we need to start talking about how Donovan Mitchell is the greatest player in jazz franchise history. <laughs> and, um, I mean, he's wrong. There's, uh, there's no debate. He, there's no way that, um, Donovan Mitchell is already better than Stockton. Like, that's not, like, I, I don't know where that came from either, but, uh, he said a week ago too. I think before he said that, he's like Donovan Mitchell. He's almost up there. He's just got to get uh, he's got to get better than him. But now he's saying he's better than him. And there's no way Donovan Mitchell is never going to touch Carl Malone. I know he's kind of uh, in this space where sometimes they like to talk about him, sometimes they don't. Carl but Carl Malone is him. still one of the best players. I think. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> as long as Donovan Mitchell doesn't do everything Carl Malone does, then he'll be fine. I mean, if he does everything he did on the basketball court, like yeah. shout out, but like nothing off of it. Yeah, that's perfect. I think. Honestly, if Carl Malone didn't do all that stuff outside, I think he would get more recognition than oh, he yeah, deserves. Totally. He, I think he's top 15 player of all time. It's just, it's crazy because, I mean, I can't stand him. I absolutely hate Carl Malone just because of who he is as a person. Yeah. That being said, the fact that people take him out of their top three power forwards of all time is absolutely ridiculous. And I don't. I, I understand if you do it because you can't even stand the guy and respect for that. Yeah. But if you think talent-wise he's not top three, then that's a joke. And I agree, he's top fifteen all the time, all of all time. I do think the power forward conversation—it's interesting. I think that those top three. Uh, some people put Shaq in there. Nah, he's I, a center. Yeah, I—I yeah. I don't know. I mean, Charles Barkley said that Shaq's the greatest power forward of all time. Well, that's a joke. That's so. just because he wants to shout out Kareem at center. Yeah. No way, Shaq's but, a center. I mean, in Matt, who who's in your top three power forward? Because I think mine is probably similar. Personally, I got. Mm, Duncan, Malone, Dirk. Okay. Or maybe KG instead of Dirk. I, yeah. I have KG in mind. Yeah. I think power forward probably because you have shooting guard, you have Kobe and um, Mike Jordan, and then you have LeBron at small forward. I think your top three power forward is probably the most competitive because you yeah. can have Dirk in there. Um, but I mean, even even if you do count Shaq, I mean, some people do, but that's even at least four people. So yeah very competitive spot but i think i think that a point guard but point guard just bounces between two depending on who you ask really yeah i think yeah point i'm not saying it should be i'm just saying that's what you see the most yeah. disparity on like online talking to other people you know but overall um stephen a smith is completely out of his mind and he's got to stay off the weed <laughs> because there is no way that donovan no. mitchell is the greatest player in jazz i, I don't care I how many points he drops tonight he's, he's not even better than stockton i don't get that he's not no even, he's no. not even close and there's plenty others that are ahead of You could take away Stockton's yeah. every point that he scored and it, just use yeah, his assists. Exactly. It's like Wayne Gretzky with his assists in hockey. Shout yeah. out, Cam. We miss you, bro. Uh, 
Yeah, moving on. Uh, Philly, they win game two and three, and they go up 2-1. Like we were saying, we were talking last time where Atlanta was up 1-0. Would it be competitive? What's the push? And I, as a big Philly hater, I said it's pro- they're probably just going to win out or it could go to six. And, I mean, those are the two most likely scenarios right now, I guess. I think Philly, like I was saying earlier, our last episode, I wasn't as confident about it, but I'm very confident now. Philly's going to win out. Uh, Trey Young, his whole villain thing, you know, it's really motivated him, and he's played well. Yeah. Most, you know, he's, he's not played this yeah. series. He's not yeah. played as well as last well, series. It's, yeah, and exactly, and it's because... He's last, getting locked up now. Yeah, last series didn't have a good matchup. Derrick Rose, one of my favorite players of all time, probably ranks number two on my list, aside from Kobe. Uh, he's not great at defense. Uh, the other Knicks point guards that they send out there to guard him. Uh, Alfred Payton's not that great at defense. And Trey Young, he was finding his spots. He was getting open, and he was hitting. Yeah. And that's why he looked so great against New York. But against Philly, when Ben Simmons, who's a top-tier defender in the NBA, no doubt, and other defensive matchups that they can throw at him, it's just it's no competition almost. Even when he plays good, it's based on his volume of shots more than anything. He's going to score a lot, and he's going to make a lot. But he's also has to shoot a lot for that to happen, you know. Yeah. And it's just, I'm no Philly fan or anything, but they're looking good, especially at the right time. You know, I think they pose as a pretty big threat to Milwaukee or Brooklyn, whoever makes it out of that series. They're going to have a tough time going through Philly. Yeah. And I hear, I have a friend who was telling me that, oh, you know, Philly, they got the easiest road to the finals. Oh, oh, oh. they're the one seed. They're supposed to. If you're the one seed, you're supposed to have Who these. Who that? <laughs> Why would you not? So, I mean, Philly bought out the regular season, earned that one seed, and now their road to the finals is looking pretty easy because it is. They're yeah. the, they earned that. And, and that was, I mean, they, yeah. that was competitive the whole time. Yeah. It was within one game most nights, and we saw the number one seed change most nights because if Philly lost and Brooklyn won, then... It's a completely but, different story because yeah. Boston's not a great team this year, but Boston and Philly is always a good matchup. It always goes close, and that wear and tear in the first round could have screwed them. But instead, they got the one seed, easy time against Washington, you know, looking good against Atlanta so far. They got a game knocked off of them, but yeah. it, it feels like a sweep. Yeah. I mean... The one big thing that happened, obviously the bench units in the first game, that was a problem. And Doc fixed that up in game two. But the one thing is Danny Green on Trey Young the first game. Danny Green is a great defensive player when he's up against guys, against small forwards, basically. Because he's good on the outside and he's also decent on the inside. But he's just not fast enough to guard a guy like Trey Young. And Ben Simmons... I think, I mean, a lot of people don't talk about it, but he's one of the fastest players in the NBA. Uh, he's one of the best um, fast break players in the NBA. And I think his length helps him a lot too when guarding Trey Young. And that was the biggest switch because when you have Ben Simmons on Trey Young and then when Simmons is out of the game, I think him and Trey Young, I mean, he was they're both in the game for most of the time. They both played decent amount of minutes but even when he was out put a guy like Thibel on him yeah and they were locking him up most of the time yeah I mean when you have pure defensive guys to come off your bench I I think every team every good team needs a guy that's pure defensive I know he might not be helpful the whole time but I think every good team in the NBA has one there it's like man they suck at offense but just send them out there to lock up the guy yeah and I feel like all these teams have one honestly 
And I think the one thing that people haven't been talking about about the Sixers this year is everyone says, oh, they're, they won't be able to beat the Nets offensively. The Sixers are averaging 123.6 points per game in the playoffs so far. That's 8.5 more points than the Nets and about almost 15 more points than the Bucks. I think if they, whoever they play in the next round, I mean, defensively, obviously they can hold up, especially if a guy like Kyrie and Harden, if they're not 100% or if they don't play, then that's less people to worry about. But you have Simmons and you have Embiid who are great defenders. And Danny Green is a great defender when he doesn't have to guard the main guy. And you also have Thibel coming off the bench. I think, I mean, obviously I'm a little biased towards the Sixers, but I think the way that that Bucks and Nets series is going, where neither team is looking amazing. I mean, some have an on game, some have an off game. We've seen the Nets be off. Obviously the Bucks were off a lot in game two, but the Sixers are really hot right now. I know they've had two decently easy matchups, but... Those easy matchups when you're the number one seed, that builds confidence. You need that. Because when Embiid is confident and he's going out there shooting, he feeds off the crowd so much that that team, we saw the Hawks go in there, Trey Young trying to silence the crowd. And when he misses, he gets in his head. He's all upset. He freaks out. He's like Russell Westbrook, but he has this, uh, I mean, they're Russell both. Westbrook uh, with the jumper. Yeah. <laughs> now, but one thing that people fail to mention is the matchups are so easy because Philly's so good. Yeah. That's that's a problem. Everyone's like, oh, it's easy, it's easy. It's not easy if the team's not that they're playing isn't that good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, Philly's turning it up. They have a good shot. Uh, next thing we want to talk about is the reports that Luka Doncic may be on the way out. Uh, I'll start on this one, and I seem to have a bad rep for this, but I think it's bullshit. Like it makes no sense. The report is he's looking to sign his extension, but you know some people are worried that he might be on the way out. Like, he's looking to sign his extension. And I know the Mavs aren't in the best spot ever to help him succeed. But if they have any brains, they're going to go all out to get Luka what he wants. And it's not worth having any shot of losing Luka. I, if I were the Mavericks, I'd rather, you know, take a huge swing and miss to keep Luka in town than just to let him roll out and try to, like, rebuild or something. It makes no sense. I think there's no way that you can let Luca no. leave. I mean, we talked about this last week. I said that he has the skill set to become one of the greatest players of all time, and you can't let that go. Even if, I mean, they have to build around him, obviously. And if Tim Hardaway Jr. leaves, that's, I think, 20 to 30 million that they get in the cap. And they're going to need that, obviously, because Luca is right now looking for the Supermax, which would be $200 million, which is obviously a lot of money in uh, five years. But you have Porzingis on a three-year contract. I think you have to trade Porzingis for something. And I think it needs to be a player. You can't trade picks at this point because you're you're in a spot where if you get a good enough player, you're in a win-now type situation. I don't think they can keep wasting these years. Obviously, Luka might play for 15 more years, but he's so good right now, and I think he's about to enter his prime, which is scary because he's playing so good right now. And if this isn't the best that he's going to be, I mean, I think he can go on a 10-year run where he could win at least, like, five MVPs. It'll be very competitive with some guys, but Luka, I think, will be the best player with guys like Kawhi and, obviously, Giannis. I mean, Giannis isn't getting older, but he's not getting younger either, so. Yeah, I mean, I just think for Luka and the Mavericks' sake, it makes the most sense for him to stay, And but they got to build around him. Poor Zangus is on the way out. It's just... 
he kind of reminds me of Kemba Walker. It's like, they're still good basketball players, but their value is almost at an all-time low. And, you know, like you're saying, the Mavericks, they don't have time to go and try to trade for picks. And it's not even... Luka's on a big window because he's so young, but, you know, you want to you wanna go for the chips when you have Luka young and balling, and you don't want to wait for these draft picks to pan out and get Luka on the older side and try to win championships. You want to go for it now more than later and I just think you're not in a rebuilding state and I don't think you're in a selling state I think you need to buy into the team that you have now and also Rick Carlisle he's on the older side of coaching and he's one of the better coaches in the league you got about you know capitalize on that and I don't know I just think it makes a lot of sense for the Mavs to go championship chasing and I mean Mark Cuban did say they said oh well you're gonna look for a new coach he said no yeah the coach is good yeah, and there's no problems with Carlisle. Yeah, there's I mean, a problem with the talent that he's given. I know he's not perfect, but yeah. I don't think any NBA coach is perfect. And I think he's made the most of what he's had for so long, and he does not have a lot right now. And I mean, since not even since Dirk left, even when Dirk was there for his last few years, that yeah. team was not very good. No, he do- he doesn't have much to work with right now. Yeah, and uh, one more thing coming out of the NBA, which um, just came up now, is that the competition committee met is meeting today. I don't know if they've met already, but they're um, exploring rule changes um, to restrict unnatural motions on jump shots. Um, I think we both have the same opinion on this. Yeah. They want to limit stars like uh, Trey Young and James Harden from leaning backwards, sideways, whatever they do, run into the person and then throw the ball up and then complain about it. I mean, even when I'm watching the game, I mean, I'll be biased all the time about our favorite team. I think everyone is. But even when Embiid draws fouls like that, I mean, obviously some he goes up and gets hacked all the time. But when he draws a foul like that, I'm not happy. I just think Kemba, that rule is... Kemba does it all the time. Yeah. As it's a Celtics just, fan. I, it's annoying to watch as a basketball fan, no matter who it is. And when you complain that a player on your team is doing it, it's pretty bad. Yeah, exactly. No one ever complains about their own team unless they're playing bad. But if you're talking about things that, yeah, these are moves that help the players get easy points at the foul line, but it's annoying to watch. And it's, I think it's toned down a little towards the end of the season because refs aren't calling it so much because it's playoffs. And usually it's known in the playoffs that the refs let the players play more than anything. Except for Jokic. Except for Jokic. Jokic is not allowed to play. And yeah, I agree. They got to toss that rule. Yeah, I just hope that it's the one thing I'm kind of scared about is they're gonna do like the NFL did and say, oh well, we can review the pass interference, but say tell the refs because when the pass interference rule came in that you could challenge it, they told the refs don't overturn it unless it's a thousand percent clear. I hope they don't do that yeah. because that would just I mean, what's the point in putting a rule in if you're not gonna change anything? Exactly. Uh, moving on, we kind of touched on it with Carlisle, but teams like Portland, like Boston, and uh, like possibly Indiana are all looking for coaches, and I think it will be Indiana. But, you know, they're all looking for different options in the coaching market. Uh, I put a post on the Instagram maybe about a week ago about who I want the Celtics to target. Yeah. And I'll basically read off, uh, read off those guys because I didn't go with any super bold takes or anything. I'll be 100% honest. Uh, I'm going to mention one guy that I didn't mention in the post just because, you know, I didn't think he'd fit great in Boston, but I think he's a great coach. But some of the leading candidates for almost all the coaching positions are Becky Hammond of the Spurs, uh, Sam Cassell, who's the Sixers assistant right now. But other guys are like Chauncey Billups, 
could be a really good coach. Yeah, he's and, just kind yeah. of emerged as a big name for. And also Jason Kidd because he's had head coaching experience and he wasn't too awful at it, but now he's an assistant in Los Angeles. It's just those guys are, you know, they're on the market. And I think personally, as a Celtics fan, I'll touch on this. I would love for them to get Becky Hammond uh, for a couple reasons. The main one is because I think she knows the most out of anyone available. Honestly, I think she's such a brilliant basketball mind. And when you're second in command to someone like Greg Popovich, who in my opinion is the best coach of all time, for that long there's no way you don't get that valuable information there's no way that you're not able to coach at a high level i also think which you know this might be a little touchy to say i also think boston could use a little bit of positive press lately and having the first female head coach of all time would be good for the city and i know the stereotype with boston fans is they don't like anyone or anything that's not straight and white but i think boston is really a great city at some time like there there's a lot of things wrong with boston but it's a good place and i think having such a great talent be the head coach of you know the team that the city revolves around basically would be great i'd, I'd love to see her come to boston uh, i also like uh, david vanterpool he's the timberwolves assistant coach the timberwolves suck i don't know why he's trapped there i'd love to see him get a chance or chauncey chauncey would be awesome i don't think he'll come to boston but it would be cool yeah, I've seen a lot of Celtics fans say that they want a former player um, as a coach. So Yeah, Cassell uh, would be cool too. Yeah. I think, I mean, as a Sixers fan, I want to see him stay. But he definitely, out of the people that are up there right now, he definitely deserves a head coaching role. Yeah, I think I think Cassell will get one. He should. Yeah. And if it's in Boston, I'm happy. And the post-Adam is like my third favorite, uh, not even favorite, like odds-wise, like just who I'd like to see yeah. there. I'd love to see Cassell coach. Uh, the Celtics did conduct an interview for Jason Kidd. Uh, every Celtics fan is pissed about it. <laughs> Basically, what I saw, I if he comes to Boston, there's going to be a lot of people upset. He is not who people want here. Yeah. I think, and, personally, I think he was a very overrated coach. Yeah. He had a good team for a couple of years, and he just didn't really do too much with them. Yeah, I mean... Milwaukee can't figure out a head coach, in my opinion, because Boonholzer was also overrated and made his way there. Yeah, but they're I not. Bet he's done. Yeah, well, yeah, he's all right. Yeah. He's better than Kidd, in my opinion. I don't see Kidd at a very high level. Yeah, so I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens. We're gonna next have, year. yeah, we're gonna have more news on that soon. You, they try to get coaches hired pretty early in the off season, yeah. so they can have the off season to figure things out. Uh, yeah, that's going to wrap it up for the NBA. Kind of spent a while on that. But to the UFC, a lot of shit going on. And I'm going to take a step back. This is Banning's lane. And let's just get straight to it. Yeah, too bad we don't have Cam here because he was uh, his favorite fighter fought this weekend. Israel Adesanya um, fight, fighting um, in the main event. Uh, great fight for Adesanya. Obviously, it went five rounds. Uh, there was a video of him at the end of the fight. And he was getting kicked and stuff. And... He uh, pretended to start crying and fell on the ground at the end of the fight. It was obvious that he was toying with him the whole fight and just showed how much of a better fighter he was. And it was, uh, I don't know, it's kind of interesting to look at because now he had, I mean, the guy that he fought against, great fighter, but who was next for him? His last fight, he didn't win. He went up in weight class and lost, tried to get two belts, but now he's so good at his weight so it's, I don't know, he's in a weird spot right now because he can keep fighting at this weight and be good, but if he goes back up, he might lose again. So, I don't know, it's just an interesting spot for him. 
In the co-main event, though, we had uh, Brandon Moreno, who I didn't know too much about him before, but fighting in his rematch, and he won the belt. Uh, the first fight went five rounds. I think it was a very close fight, the first fight, so obviously they had to have a rematch. And from what I heard, everyone in the UFC, even after they had an interview with him and Adi Asanya, everyone's saying that he's probably the nicest person in the UFC, nicest person on the roster. So it's always great to see a guy like that win. And I think that makes him the first Mexican UFC champion. Um, so don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure they're talking about that. Even if he's not the first, having that representation is huge. Yeah, especially, I mean, it's always great to see American fighters win and stuff like that, but guys from other countries having the whole country behind them, because American fighters, when they fight against American fighters, there's no nationality. Yeah. But when having a guy from Mexico, I mean, guys like Adi Asanya too, anyone really coming from a different country, you have that whole country on your back. Globalizing sports in general is something I'm a really big fan of. You know, yeah. having these guys from around the world be some of the best in sports that are so loved here is amazing. And I totally agree with that. I love seeing guys like that. But, I mean, third round submission, he, he was just looking great the whole fight. And it was cool to see the crowd because they were definitely behind him. He was the underdog. And a lot of the time in the UFC, if it's not a superstar, most of the crowd chants for the underdog just to see that underdog win. So always great to see uh, him win. And then in the third fight, we had uh, it was very interesting because this was the first time that we've seen a five-round fight not in the main event or not be a championship fight is between Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz is one of the... I would say UFC superstars at this point in his career. I mean, he's one of the most loved fighters. Him and his brother, um, both great for the sport overall just because they've done so much over the past couple years. He hasn't fought in a while, but him finally coming back to fight, it was great to see. Um, he was getting rocked, I would say almost every round, except for the last round. Uh, I, in the third round, he really got cut open. He was bleeding everywhere and he kept going and after he got cut open and he was bleeding everywhere, he was, uh, I mean, he was looking towards Edwards and telling him to come beat him up. And that got the crowd really going. And this was great to see a fight go uh, five rounds just because, I mean, it's the first time we've seen a non-championship or main event fight go that long. Dana White was asked about it and he said both fighters wanted to fight five rounds. So that's why we did it. So we might see this happen more because most of the time when we have these big cards, the, first, the main event and the co-main event, the championship fights obviously go five rounds, but there's great fighters on the roster that can go five rounds, so it's great that we're finally seeing that happen. Um, he almost got the win though in the last round. He uh, really rocked Edwards, but he just didn't capitalize on it, but it's always great to see a legend fight, especially having the crowd behind him, and being the first fight before the two main events really got the crowd excited and I think that's really why they put him there just to get everyone excited for those title fights yeah and uh in a month from now we have McGregor's third fight in his trilogy so until then there's probably not going to be too much going on but I'm sure once that happens Cam will be all excited wow, for yep. McGregor to come back even though McGregor uh I don't think he's going to win that fight I think he might retire well uh, he retires he, I think he's retired like four times but I think he might be done after that. Fair enough. All right. We're ready to move on to the NFL? I think so. All right. Uh, first thing we want to talk about is something I wasn't very familiar with until recently. I guess I missed the news. But 
uh, Le'Veon Bell's comments on Andy Reid. A uh, fan on Twitter, or yeah, it was Twitter, I believe, asked, you know, hey, are you re-signed with the Chiefs? Because if so, I'm, you know, got to run it back, win us a chip. And he goes, uh, Le'Veon Bell responds with, uh, I'm never playing with Andy Reid ever again. I he said he would rather retire. I'd rather retire than have Andy Reid as my coach. And I think what's so surprising is that Andy Reid is known across the NFL as one of the best coaches in the NFL. And, you know, he is pretty successful as a coach. I'm Hall of Fame coach. Yeah, he's really great at what he does, but apparently... Yeah, uh, I don't know. Le'Veon Bell just has issues with Andy Reid, apparently. I don't know what he did during that time. He did say, though, that um, he would be fine playing in Kansas City as long as Andy Reid's not there. So I don't know what happened. I guess he just didn't give him any cheeseburgers. <laughs> Got the bikes going by, damn. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's funny because I guess it shows the point that it doesn't matter how great someone may be at their job, people won't mesh well. And Le'Veon Bell is known to have a pretty big ego when it comes to things. Remember, his contract holdout that yeah. did not work. But, you know, yeah, I mean, stuff happens. Uh, it's big news just because it's Le'Veon Bell talking. And when he talks, it's kind of like Antonio Brown at a lesser level. There's just a chance he's going to say something stupid. Yeah. And, you know, it's his opinion. Totally fine. If he doesn't like Andy Reid, I'm not going to sit here and bash him for it. But, you know, he is one of the best coaches in the NFL. And saying you'd rather retire, you know, it's a little diva-ish, but you know, yeah. I like Le'Veon. I hope he gets a shot. You know, yeah, that's how it goes. Uh, another thing we want to talk about is when we think each rookie QB will start their first week of the season, and we can do this pretty quick. I'll just list them off the top of my head, and we can say about where we think they're going to start. Yeah. Let's just do the first five, the first rounders. Yeah. So first off, Trevor Lawrence, uh, week one, he will yeah. be the starter going in. Um. I mean, he's been holding out. I saw a uh, Twitter headline today, Trevor Lawrence holding out. And then the actual title was that he's holding out because he has a hamstring injury yeah. and they don't want him playing. Um, obviously, he's going to start week one unless he's injured. Exactly. Not too big. I think he'll be yeah. all right. Uh, next quarterback drafted, Zach Wilson. I also think he'll be week one. Yeah. The Jets don't have any competition in no. there with him. It, there's no point, and especially someone that plays at a smaller school, I think that you just got to get him ready to the competition. Yeah. I don't. I always say this. I don't think he'll have a good year one, but I think they got to start him, get him ready for the league, and then going in. Yeah. Especially oh. if he's going to win an MVP in the next five years. <laughs> hopefully, towards the latter half of the season, he'll pick things up, or hopefully his skills will just translate really well to the NFL, and he'll be good right away. I still think that Jets team has good talent on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Sam Darnold was okay. I know a lot of people like to say he's a good quarterback in a bad situation. Like um, I, I watched a lot of his games. He he was okay. He's not as bad as people make him out to be, but he's not a savior of anything. I agree. He's all right. He's not the yeah. Mormon Manziel, which we are about to see. <laughs> I forgot about that nickname. Uh, Trey Lance, uh, it's kind of a weird one. Yeah. You want to start with that? I mean, I've been saying this the whole time. I think, I mean, the 49ers fit, great fit for him. Uh, the thing about it, though, is that when we saw that he got drafted, there was talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. Right now, I really don't know when he's going to start because we haven't really got too much insight on um, draft camp. Usually, we always see whenever there's a rookie quarterback and a veteran, there's always, um, we don't really know who's going to start. 
And I think we kind of wait a couple weeks just to see when he's going to start because he could be balling out in camp. I think he will be. Um, I don't know if he'll start week one. I think he's good enough to start week one. But also, you have Jimmy Garoppolo, who is still a good quarterback. I know people are starting to say that he's awful and stuff like that. He's still a good quarterback. But I think even if you wait and have Trey Lance come in when you need to, kind of like Tua did last year, yeah. obviously he's a lot better than Tua. Tua's not good. Yeah, and uh, this is where me banning his opinion shift because my big storyline is I'm putting my money on Tua to be good this year. And I'm not taking him in fantasy or anything, but I really do think Tua will shine this year. That being said, he could also suck. Yeah. The, you never really know with those guys that don't get a lot of playing time in their first year. Uh, my opinion with Trey Lance, if I had to put a number on it, I'd guess week six to eight. I don't think maybe... I was, I was thinking yeah, five. I think probably... I don't necessarily think that's what he deserves. I think he's going to be a great quarterback. I'm a big Trey Lance fan too. But I think Garoppolo, you know, he's a veteran. He knows the system. He's like a great placeholder quarterback. He's like a worse Kirk Cousins when I got to compare his play style to someone. So I think he'll hold out for a while, but then, you know... Whether the 49ers aren't winning or something, or they just think it's time for a switch, I think they put in Trey Lance and he shines after a couple weeks. And this doesn't mean that Garoppolo has to get hurt. It doesn't mean he has to be throwing eight picks. Just, I mean, when they kind of need a change of pace. If they start losing like two games in a row and Garoppolo's okay. I think the comparison was good. I kind of compare him a lot to Ryan Tannehill, where he can throw when he needs to, but... I mean, we saw that championship run. They had three running backs run for, what, 100 yards every game. Yeah. And he's just, he's really good at handing the ball off, and he also knows how to throw a football. Exactly. And that's why play action so good, and exactly why Trey Lance fits so well. Because Trey Lance knows how to throw the football, yeah. and he also can handle it. And, and Trey Lance can run play action extremely well. I think that's, that's one his, of the, probably yeah. his best trait. We were talking about that player. before he got drafted. He's yeah. really good at that. Uh, on to the next, we have Justin Fields for the Bears. And this one goes both ways. I think this, this is, is probably the most interesting Nick. spot. And I guess I'll take my maybe bold. It's it's bold, I guess, but it's also what a lot of people want. Uh, Instagram Explorer feed seems to think I'm a Chicago Bears fan because I see their stuff every single day. The fans want to see him go week one. That's where the fans want to see him hop in. And I'm going to agree. I, I think he should be week one. And it's just his level of competition at Ohio State was so good, um, just because it's one of the best programs in the nation. Yeah, and in a great division too. Yeah, and he just he played well, and you know, come playoff time, you know, geez, they're coming by again. Here they are. Let's hear it. But anyways, Justin Fields, I think he's ready to ball week one. I really do. And it's just if they had a better placeholder, then maybe I'd be welcome to it. You're saying but, they don't have a good placeholder? I think he's really good at being a placeholder, but I don't think he has any chance to really shine this year in Chicago. They did say he's going to be the starting quarterback, though. Yeah, and that was before they drafted Justin Fields, and I haven't heard that guy talk about it again. So I I really think that he should play week one. If I had to guess, he might be like week four or something, but I, I would really think it would be beneficial to start him week one, even if he sucks. I, I think you roll with him. Unless he's playing absolutely awful and you need someone else in there i think you gotta let justin fields rock with it i i like his game i think he'll be good yeah um i'm not a huge justin fields fan um i think andy dalton will probably start um i know the fans want to see justin fields start and obviously as a rookie you want to put him in to get that experience but i think andy dalton will start 
until something happens. It kind of could be like Trey Lance. We could see him come in when Andy Dalton starts to play bad. Andy Dalton played decent last year. I mean, he yeah, did he have right? a great receiving core, one of the best in the NFL, but which just got better also. Yeah. But it's wait. a deep receiving core. I mean, I think Andy Dalton is a good enough quarterback to start. Uh, I think, honestly, uh, it could take a while, but Justin Fields, I kind of compare him a lot to Tua of the last class. So in your comparison, that means you think Justin Fields will do good this year. I think Justin Fields... Well, no, he might suck his rookie year, but I'm saying Tua's second year, you never know. Yeah, I I like it. I I really do believe in him, and that's mostly because I like him as a guy, which isn't really fair, but I also think his game is good. Yeah, that's why I think Zach Wilson's going to do good. Perfect. We all have our guys. And Justin Fields and Tua are not two of my guys. Yeah, and Zach Wilson is definitely not mine. I'm ba- saying I'm biased because I think he should have been the second overall pick and all this yeah. stuff. But and even when he wins Rookie of the Year this year. Yeah, yeah, when he doesn't. And Spencer Rattler wins the Heisman. I'm getting over my Spencer Rattler thing. I, I'm starting to like him a little more. Uh, But, yeah, and then Mac Jones for the Pats. Uh, I that see. one, very interesting, too, just because of Cam Newton. He was there last year. so I, And I honestly don't think Belichick likes either one of them too much. Um, I think he might like Mac Jones a little more. And I think the fans definitely like Mac Jones a little oh, yeah. more. I don't know if they like him more for the same reason. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there's some Pats fans with views on people that are different than Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick's a very nice guy. Yeah, but Cam yeah, Newton is, is the nicest guy. <sighs> Anyways, I'm taking like Mac Jones like week 13. I really think Cam Newton rocks this year out, and I don't think he's gonna play exceptional or anything. But Bill is so insistent on waiting on young guys. And I feel like it doesn't even matter position because Nikhil Harry, his rookie year, it was bad. The numbers were bad and he was hurt a lot. But he also like didn't play when he was healthy. Bill Belichick really waits to put those guys out there. And quarterback is the most important position in football. You know, just undoubtedly, even if it, your best player doesn't have to be a quarterback, it is the most important one. It's the mind of the whole team. And it's just, it takes a lot and Bill Belichick has trust in Cam Newton because Bill Belichick last year, he would let Cam Newton throw like four picks before he even look at Stidham. Yeah. So, I don't know why he yeah. has trust in him. But. I don't know sometimes either, but I think Cam will be all right. And uh, I, I don't like Mac Jones at all, but I'm a Pats fan. So if Cam Newton struggles and Mac Jones comes out there, he, you know, it's debatable that he might be one of the most NFL-ready quarterbacks that was drafted. That was his whole thing. His whole thing is that he's a good leader and he's NFL-ready. So if they need him out there and he converts, I'll be happy. You know, I I want the guy to succeed. I have really low expectations, like really low. But, hey, if he goes out there and performs and it doesn't look like Cam Newton's going to be our guy, I think Bill Belichick will be willing to move on, but it will take some time based on what I've seen before. I think this will be a lot like last year. I think Cam Newton might struggle, and then they might put Jarrett Stidham out there. Obviously, they did that last year. I think they'll probably do that with Mac Jones this year. I think they might go a little sooner because last year we did see Cam, like you were saying, it took him a few interceptions, I think, if he starts to play bad at like halftime i mean we even saw brian hoyer go in last year too so i wouldn't be surprised if cam is benched and even mac jones goes in and then hoyer only played through the covid shit though but still yeah yeah. uh i i mean the only camp i've really paid attention to is pat's camp because that's the only one i get like reliable information from and it doesn't help with anyone uh 
all of our tight ends get hurt. Jared Stidham's looked like the best quarterback out there. It's hell. So it's it's weird what's going on in New England right now. But I mean, you know. speaking of the Patriots camp, Stefan Gilmore not showing up. How do you, how do we feel about that? Do you think that's actually anything? Or? He, he finally expressed why he wants his contract to be built differently, just with the years and the money. Not necessarily an extension, but yeah. where the money goes each year. Uh, Patriots have already helped him with that before. He was sitting out a couple of the uh, non-mandatory things last year that he was expected to go to, and the Patriots basically just gave him a raise, yeah. and they're probably going to do it again. Well, I, I think it's like it's not a good sign necessarily, but I mean, last year he did the same thing, and it's warranted. When you're one of the better corners in the NFL, and your contracts, his original contract was structured really bad, in my I mean, opinion. He is a free agent after this year, though. So yeah, I think the Padres are going to give him a raise and then hopefully extend him, just because I think he's a great player. But you know, if they have to move on from him, then yeah. I'll be really upset about it. But you know, I mean, I think it's also crazy to see we saw him win Defensive Player of the Year. What was it, two years ago, a year ago? And Dude, now you're saying he's one of the top corners. Man. I think he's. He's stepped down a little bit, but obviously he's still one of the best corners. But I just think other guys have stepped up more than anything. I mean, J.C. Jackson was good for them last year, even though yeah. he was guarding the second best receiver. It's just, and also as a Pats fan, you know, it's always hard to criticize your own team and also criticize your own fans, but J.C. Jackson isn't, like, exceptional. J.C. Jackson's a really good cornerback number two, and I would love the Patriots to hold on to him, and I hope he develops into that cornerback one if we have to move on from Gilmore, but he's not ready right now today to do that. So having both is really important for that Pats team, I think. So if we lose Gilmore, it will be really hard on the secondary, I think, obviously. Though, yeah, the only headline, really, Gilmore sitting out, um, he possibly could have been traded last year, so I think that's kind of yeah. why. If the trade talks wasn't didn't go on last year, then I don't think we would be talking about this. But I think Gilmore's committed to the team. If they trade him, then I think he'll be all right with it. I'm not saying he's going to be upset or anything, but it's more about the money, and he's done it before. It's just to prove, like, hey, I'm serious about this, and the Pats are probably going to comply, which is fine. I mean, Julio Jones and uh, DeAndre Hopkins got a second-round pick, so what do you get for a guy <laughs> like Gilmore? True. Uh... Yeah, uh, a couple more things, uh, more about comments that people are saying. Travis Kelsey on the Browns, he said they're the second best team in the AFC. They said they're right next to the Chiefs. We're going to be here all week if I let Banning talk first. So I'm going to say first, uh, I think the Browns are one of the best teams in the AFC, but I don't think they're close to neck and neck with the Chiefs. I think him saying that was more of a respect thing for his probably his boys that are on that team and just him being nice and respecting good competition i think they're good competition i wouldn't put them anywhere close to neck and neck i'd say like not i I can't even think of a good comparison it's just they're not my second best team in the afc in my opinion and i just wouldn't put them there the chiefs are so up and far and away for me but you know travis kelsey saying that it's all a respect thing you know it's nice to hear players respecting other teams than going out there week to week and trying to kill them pretty much but yeah i i mean I'm fine that he said that, but I completely disagree. Yeah, uh, we talked about this last week uh, when we were talking about how the Browns were AFC contenders. Uh, I'll just keep it at that. I don't agree with Travis Kelsey. Um, he said that, kind of like what you said. Got to shout out his boys, and um, there's nothing wrong with that. But they are not the second best team in the AFC. The Bills are getting lost in the conversation each week with the Browns going up there and everyone's saying they're the best but the bills the bills have 
as high a chance to go to the Super Bowl in the AFC as the Chiefs do, in my opinion. Yeah, so. I think the Bills are the second best team in the AFC, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, last thing to talk about is NFL players on the hot seat. We were going to mention this uh, last episode, but we mostly ran out of time. But, I mean, you have five? Yeah. Yeah, we both have five. Uh, to preface this, it's really hard not to pick quarterbacks for this. But I held mine to three quarterbacks. Yeah, I also have three. So, yeah, let's get straight to it. Want to go back and forth on it? Yeah, we can start from number five if you want. Yeah. Do you have them in order? Pretty could much. You come up with them. Yeah. S- similarly, yeah. yeah. Uh, you can start. How do you feel? Okay. So uh, number five, I have Cortland Sutton. He's proved that he can play when he's on the field, but obviously an injury kept him out last year. I still think he's a great receiver. But being in a contract year and being hurt last year, and he has to stay healthy this year because we could see him end up, I mean, if he's hurt this year, the Broncos are not going to give him as much money as he would want. I think they would still extend him, but he has to ball out this year and he can't just have another average year. Um, It's obviously it's fine when you have an average to good year when you're a rookie. But when you get hurt and you haven't been playing at 100%, I mean, I love Cortland Sutton, but he's really got a ball out this year if he wants that big contract. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, my five, I had Andy Dalton, which is, I just think he's on a really short leash is yeah. my thing. And I, he doesn't really have much to prove necessarily, but I think if he still wants to be respected as a starting quarterback in the NFL, he really needs to show something early on if they don't start Justin Fields week one, which I don't think they will. Yeah. But, you know, he, I think he's on one of the shortest leashes in the NFL. They're not giving him much room to breathe in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, so number four, I have Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, he went from being one of the most prolific players. I mean, his rookie year, he had that hit on Vontez Perfect. Everyone was so excited about that. He got suspended. And then he started doing his TikTok stuff. And most loved, qu- most hated. Yeah, so that quick. was probably the quickest change we've seen since Odell. Yeah. Um, and the so Odell's... Wide receivers. Yeah the diva wide receivers i'm not going to get into that because i think that's uh because you play wide receiver yeah but i mean he signed a one-year eight million dollar deal he definitely could have gone somewhere else and signed for a lot more multiple years i think he's on the hot seat though because if he plays decent this year not too great he's going to get a lot less money than if he plays amazing i mean it's a prove it year he signed a prove it contract so yeah and he did say that he's going to get a new agent after this year so I mean, that even says, too, that this is his, uh, his big proving year because he's either going to get a multi-four-year like four year deal with, I don't know if it's going to be the Steelers, but he could definitely go somewhere else and get a lot of money, or he's just going to sign like a two-year extension, maybe $10 million at most a year. But Yeah. Uh, my number four, I had Leighton Van Der Esch. I know it's not super fair because he's always had injury problems, but in such a good linebacking core when you know your contract's coming up all this sort of stuff it's just Jalen Smith is really good they just drafted Micah Parsons and Jabril Cox Jabril Cox is great and it's just you know I think Lane Vanderesh is a great linebacker but he needs to stay healthy if he continues to be an injury liability or he goes out there and doesn't perform that great this year they have replacements for him they literally drafted replacements for him and Jalen Smith is on the younger side so even though Lane Van Der Esch is on the younger side, he's good. If he's replaceable, then they're going to replace him. Yeah. So I think his seat's pretty hot. Yeah. I mean, one of the best rookies this rookie year. Yeah. Just It's just injuries. He, he And I still think he's really good. He's, 
in my opinion, the best player on my hot seat list, just talent-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Number three for me, I have uh, Colin's friend, Tua Tagovailoa. Um, I mean, we kept we talked about this in this episode. He's got to go out there and prove it this year. They were talking about potentially drafting a quarterback this year, and obviously they didn't draft one in the first round. Um, they went and got him a receiver. So, I mean, I don't know if they got him a receiver or their quarterback for next year because the way it's looking, I think Tua, they almost replaced him after his rookie year which you almost never see happen. Yeah. And if he plays bad this year, if he doesn't play all the games this year, like if he's benched by the end of the year, and yeah, yeah, I think they will definitely draft a quarterback going into this year because there's going to be some good quarterbacks and there's so many great players at other positions. Like, I mean, Derek Stingley could be one of the highest drafted players as a cornerback just because yeah. he's so good. And there's great receivers too. Javion Thibodeau, one of the best edge rushers we've seen in the minute. I mean, there's yeah, there's going to be great quarterbacks that are going to fall because I think yeah. obviously the Dolphins. We talked about this lock for a wild card, and I mean there could definitely be a good quarterback in that twenty range next year. So exactly. Uh, number three, I'm going for my second straight Cowboy. I have Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, it's just last year was so bad, and before then he had been prolific for a couple years as a great running back. And I think the Cowboys have options and running back is one of those positions that's naturally so replaceable in the NFL just because there's always another great one. Like San Francisco happens to have like four at all times. And it's just Zeke, you know, makes a lot of money. He's, you know, there's just so many reasons why he could be on the hot seat. If he plays up to what we know he can do, then I don't think he has to worry. But I think this year specifically is really big for his future in Dallas. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I agree with that. I think as a Giants fan, obviously, the Cowboys aren't my favorite team, but I've always respected Zeke as a player, not as a person. Yeah. Um, uh, he's always been a great player. Always. And Tony Pollard, I yeah. mean... he's Tony Pollard's one of the best backup running backs I, in the NFL. Tony Pollard could definitely yeah. be a starter on that team. Yeah, exactly. So if Zeke's you know, contract and bad play continue to be an issue, then yeah. Tony Pollard is ready to make that jump. Yeah, I mean, that's if why. Zeke does bad too and he wants to go to the Giants, have <laughs> Zeke and Saquon, that's fine too. Uh, so number two, right? Yep. Um, number two, I have Drew Locke. I mean, quarterback for a team that is a quarterback away from, obviously not a championship, but a quarterback away from being a good team. I think, I mean, offensively a very good team. And their defense has been getting better too with all the players they're drafting. And even the guys that they pick up that have just been great for them um obviously yeah. justin simmons playing great they get ps2 this yep. year so drew lock he has one of the most talented wide receiver cores not i wouldn't say the best but the talent in there is their mix just, their yeah. mix of talent and all being on the younger side is really helpful yeah. uh yeah i totally agree if i had to revise this list i put it i would have put him on it i i just blanked over him but i agree totally on a hot seat Number two, I have Cam Newton. Uh, pretty obvious. It's it's like a little bit of a better Andy Dolan situation, in my opinion. It's pretty much equal. Cam, he played pretty bad last year, but we see when he's playing good, how good he really is. He's given a full shot. He has his off season. It looks like he's going to start this year. And if he can play really good, then Mac Jones seems more like a long-term project. But if he sucks, then he's going to Mac Jones is on his ass, pretty much. So I don't really have much to elaborate on that. It's pretty obvious. His play directly affects him. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, though. Uh, we didn't see each other's list before this. I definitely thought we were going to have similar players. 
Um, but my number one player is Daniel Jones. They built the team. Um, they got Kenny Galladay. They got Kyle Rudolph, which I think still a good player. John Ross, an amazing signing for one year, two and a half million dollars. They built the team. Obviously, the offensive line is still not as good. Hopefully, Andrew Thomas steps it up this year. But the offensive line is a lot better than what it used to be. Saquon coming back. They have potentially a great offense. It really falls on Daniel Jones. I'm not the biggest supporter of him. But there, he does show flashes. I mean, compared to these other guys like Drew Locke and Tua, I mean, he's shown a lot more than those two in my opinion. And, I mean, he has the talent to go out and do it. He just has to. And the only problem really with him is... I mean, he kind of slowed down on the fumbles, but he's just got to stop throwing the interceptions. He's got to stop forcing the ball. And, I mean, Evan Ingram has to also start catching the ball, too. Yeah. Even though he's a Pro Bowl tight end, he's got to step it up more. We actually do share one person on the list. My number one is Tua. Uh, I'm a big Tua guy, but you got to be willing to talk about, you know, even players that you support. He has the hottest seat, in my opinion, just because... Like you said, he is a rookie that got benched and that you don't see that very often. It's just, I really am betting on him to go out there and have a great season. Not great, like prolific or anything, but at least above average. And if he doesn't do it, then I don't see why Miami doesn't move on from him, which is crazy because I really think he has talent, but it's just, if he can't show it, he might end up like a Josh Rosen where it's just like, they're not even that bad, but you got to move on. Yeah. And I, I don't want to see him go like that. I want to see him prove, you know, some doubters wrong. But if he doesn't, then it's only smart in Miami to ship him out at that point. It only makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one last thing that um, kind of running it back to the NBA, but we just got the news that uh, Kyrie will be out for game five. And, and LeBron officially changed his number, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyways. MVP <laughs> mode next year. Oh, yeah. Uh, Steve Nash says he has no idea if he's coming back in this series. We talked about it a little bit. Um, I mean, I still have the Bucks winning this series. Kyrie out and James Harden kind of on the ropes. That Kevin Durant is good enough to go out there and score 30 points. The rest of the team is not good enough to win. I think if Kyrie doesn't come back this series and Harden's out for at least the next two games, I think the Bucks in six. Yeah. I'm not going to make any more bold predictions. I think let that one settle a little more, but that's huge. That is big news to end off the episode. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, let's wrap it up right there. Yeah. Uh, this was episode 17 of the Nosebleeds. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at the underscore nosebleeds underscore podcast. We're continuously growing. Love the support we're getting there. Even if the likes aren't flowing through like crazy, we're getting a lot of positive interactions. And MVP LeBron season. <laughs> we're having a good time with it. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, make sure to check out the future episodes and we appreciate it. Those boots out. I'm out.